Hey, this is Doug Jones. You might know me as the Silver Surfer or Abe Sapien from the Hellboy movies or Billy Butcherson from Hocus Pocus. But right now, you're listening to the Candare Podcast. and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And joining us today, uh, comic artist whose work you've probably seen across DC, Marvel, and First Comics, and he's brought to life characters like the Badger, Punisher, Batman, Silver Surfer, and many more. We welcome comic artist Bill Reinhold to the show. Bill, thank you so much for being here. Oh, glad to be here. It's an honor to have uh, an artist of your caliber here. My God, bringing some of the best uh, characters to life. It's it's truly an honor, sir. She whiz. <laughs> what more can you say, right? <laughs> We've got a good show lined up for you guys today in our retro roundtable. We're going to be talking about our uh, favorite or least favorite uh, superhero or villain hideouts, layers, whatever you will. I'm very excited about that. Randy, what was kind of the inspiration for that? You know, I was just thinking uh, of stuff we hadn't done before, and I thought, wow, you know, we, I don't think we've ever talked about, like, layers specifically. Let's try to tie it back to uh, comic books. And then when I was talking to Bill, I noticed he had the Batman, he'd done the Batman, and I thought, well, back cave, let's... Might be stealing somebody's thunder, but, you know. <laughs> deep, there you go. Deep, Randy, deep. <laughs> but before we do all that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you like what we're doing, head over to Patreon.com forward slash CandairPod, where for $5 a month you get access to the Candair Patreon pod. We post once a month, and there's over two years of shows on there. It's quite a catalog, people. And mm-hmm. a lot of fun stuff coming down the pike, too. That there is, that there is. Once a stupid quarantine ends, we can uh, get back to work, right? We're almost there. <laughs> almost there. And uh, don't forget to find us also uh, Monday through Friday at seven, from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Redline Radio LLC. You can check out old uh, episodes of us there. And if you want to give us a call, uh, 614-254-3332. We have a, a phone here set up just to take your text messages and voicemails. We want to hear your cheers, your jeers, your ideas. Just if you want to say hi, we want to hear from you. Again, 614-254-3332. Gentlemen, am I forgetting anything? Are you taking no takers yet on that phone call? No, not yet. It's kind of pissing me <laughs> off. Kind of pissing me off. I know you're listening, people. I can see your numbers. Give us a Come call. Come on, i got to be screwing up something you can give me crap on. <laughs> All right, let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. And here we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Our favorite or least favorite uh, superhero or villain layers. Who would like to kick us off? Randy, why don't you uh, go ahead? All right. Well, I guess I'll just go ahead and start with the Batcave since I kind of stole that at the beginning. But uh, I just I, I'd always seeing the animated uh, series on TV just always loved like everything in the background. Like it's it's panning around during the episodes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I vividly remember like the big two face coin and the, uh, I think there was like a T-Rex in there and just all this random shit that I just was always like trying to see what was like hidden yeah. in there. As cool it's as like that I- in the Arkham games too. Cause it's, it's, it's like a big hollow cave, like a big, I don't know. There's like a bottomless pit usually. And there's just like catwalks around the edge with a certain platform and, like there's a bunch of suits and then like the whole turntable with the Batmobile. But yeah, there's always stuff in the background going on. I like the uh, uh, Batcave is Bill. I like the Batcave <laughs> partially because as an artist, it leaves so much up to the imagination. I only got to draw it oh, once, yeah. but um, really it was, it's just like whatever you want it to be. I mean, I was working on a Legend of the Dark Knight story. So with that, there's no definition and what it should be exactly or not following any particular continuity so it could be whatever i wanted it to be 
Now that's freaking amazing. So when you said you got to do the Batcave once, when you did it, uh, how did you inject yourself into that? What did you do since it was such a broad canvas? I did a lot of research on caves, <laughs> for one. <laughs> and uh, when I drew the story, it was, let's see, it came out in 2001, but I actually drew it in the mid-90s, like 96. And when I did it, computers were still really new to me. So I, you know, I just made up an imaginary setup of computers and displays and just kind of a really crazy, like Batman had like 10, 12 displays in front of him all stacked up. Oh, wow. And for him to see everything that's going on in the news or anything else he wanted to look at. I enjoyed drawing the bats. I did not go to the classic dinosaur and such <laughs> in there and the coin. I didn't draw that. Um, so it was mostly just a setup of, you know, where his Batmobile was and uh, the area where his computers and such and just the cave in general. And I, I put like a cave spider in there. I looked up cave spiders, found one of those, put one of those in there. It was fun. That sounds amazing. So with the Batmobile, were you able to uh, take any liberties with that showing it at all? Or did you have to, uh, like a very strict uh, model to stick to? No, I, I had looked at a few Batmobiles that people were doing at the time. And I kind of did a conglomeration of my own uh, input and what I saw. So, no, I didn't have to draw a definite Batmobile. That's that's the great thing about Legend of the Dark Knight. It was all kind of open-ended prequel stuff, you know, to just kind of do what you want. How much fun. That would be such a blast. Yeah. The Batcave in any iteration has always intrigued me. I've always loved it, thought how cool to have. But at the same time, I think, one... It would be so cold and uncomfortable all the time. I don't think I could ever, like, spend a lot of time in there. And That's why you have to wear your bat suit so you stay warm. Well, you know? yeah, but but if you're wearing <laughs> the old school bat suit, yeah. <laughs> which is basically close to tights, this is what, you, what I had him wearing, it could be a little chilly. I might put a sweater so. on. <laughs> I would say so. And secondly, what about all the bat shit everywhere? There's be guano all over. Oh, stuff. yeah. <laughs> That'd be constant cleanup uh, for Alfred. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> or no, Robin no, when he was no, around. T- no pun intended. <laughs> I said no shit. So. <laughs> they they kind of I guess answered that in the uh, in the uh, Christopher Nolan the uh, oh, what's his name Christian Bale Batman. Uh, with the with the Batcave in the last movie, where you know it all came up out of the water, and like when the computer came out, it was encased in this really thick glass. So, I guess oh, if yeah. stuff did get covered in shit, it would get washed off as soon as it went down. That is kind of practical, I suppose. But again, how uncomfortable sitting out there on that stupid thing! It's got to be freezing. You have to in the corner. You had a huge uh, Batcave dehumidifier. Yeah, really. <laughs> so, so do you think when like Alfred's like cleaning up down there and stuff, do you think he's got like a regular power washer? Or does he have like the bat power washer? <laughs> I would say it'd probably take a special kind of power wash. I mean, if you ever watched any of those uh, like nature shows, like especially in like Brazil, there's these huge uh, caves that bats populate, and uh, just the amount of bats in there every night, the amount of guano, it's like a mountain you can climb, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So I can't imagine. I mean, I don't see that many bats being in the bat cave to cause that amount of, of a problem. But nonetheless, even if it's half of that, that's still a major problem. <laughs> we cleaned up all the bat guano in here. Look how much more room we have now. <laughs> he, he called in Aquaman once a week. <laughs> Just sweep it the hell out, man. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, well, what about you, Bill? Do you have any uh, layer or hideout to mention? Well, I never really thought about this that much. Uh, but then Doctor Strange came to me right away because I love that house. Yeah. Just a old, you know, Victorian style house. Uh, it'd be wonderful to live in. I mean, you could say that Batman has his manor, but, you know, that's upstairs. That's not where Batman is. But Doctor right. Strange just could be out and about all day long walking around in his house. Yeah. He could greet you at the door. I think that'd be great. 
Yeah, that is. You're, you're referring like the Sanctum Satorum. Is that what it's called? Exactly. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. so. Yes. Yeah, with the with that window with the the kind of crust. Uh, yes. The hashtag design on it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess now that I think about it, I, I would never have called that that years ago, but but now to. It's kind of hashtag. You're not wrong. You are definitely not wrong. There's a hashtag in that window. (laughs) But yeah, good pick. That's so cool. All the uh, all the enchanted uh, little artifacts sitting around. Yeah, just a museum. Yeah, yeah. Much more comfortable than the Batcave for sure. (laughs) What about you, Jack? Uh, My pick would be just normal just relaxing for the most except for one hero which would be the his secret layer is the tick which is arthur's apartment (laughs) (laughs) which the tick thinks that it's actually a layer and is constantly pulling on stuff to make sure is this where the you know the 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 computer comes out from and like knocks a lamp over thinking it's the switch and then everything's going to change around like it does in (laughs) comic books and movies and stuff but Nope, it's just a just an apartment. <laughs> Very lackluster layer, just, just yeah. built up in his mind. Imagine <laughs> Arthur probably has to repair a lot of walls in that apartment too. Yeah, you meet another hero to team up, and come on, we're going to go back to our lair. And <laughs> this is just apartment two B. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> well, that makes that makes me think of another lackluster layer. That'd be Peter Parker's bedroom. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, with they, Aunt of gym socks. With Aunt May banging on the door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do they come any more lackluster than that? I can't think. I can't think of any worse. Well, yeah, but then when he moved in with uh, Firestar and Iceman, he got the uh, nice little upgrade where, like, the coffee table flipped over to a supercomputer and all that other shit on the Spider-Man and his amazing friends. You guys remember that? I remember it, Very but great. I don't remember the apartment transforming though. It's been <laughs> no. so long. I even tried watching that when Disney Plus came out, and I fell asleep during the episode because it's <laughs> so boring. <laughs> he had to pay his dues to get from the apartment to that, uh, that luxury computer coffee table, you know? My pick is going to be, a big surprise, the Turtles' sewer den. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's cool, I, though. It's definitely cool. I've always loved it. Um I don't like how it's kind of transformed over the years into uh, some like over the top high tech thing. Like Donatello has all these big high tech computers around and he's doing sign, you know, science and shit. I like it when he just kind of knows machines and he's just kind of working with parts. Maybe he's got from a junkyard. Like, where's this guy learning all this science shit in the sewer? But Mm -hmm. anyway, the more simplified sewer layer is what I love. And um, it's funny because I remember, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show before. When I was young, I loved it so much that I had asked my dad that if we could clear my bedroom out, and put a manhole in the middle of it that you could open, come down a ladder, and then down there would be my room. And I could deck it out like a sewer <laughs> den. I was about the sewer life. I wanted it so bad, but uh, as you can imagine, you, he said you, no. But you get to skip the smell. <laughs> well, right. if I stay down there long enough, there might be a smell. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I ever had to something like that was having a room down in the basement because it was pretty much all mine, so I could do oh, whatever, yeah. whatever I wanted to with it. That's where I am. Nice. I'm in the basement. <laughs> in his lair. <laughs> the Bill Reinhold lair. <laughs> it was funny, Jeremy. I had the uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle 2 movie uh, lair, the abandoned subway on my list. I, I used to think that was so cool, just how they like stumbled yeah. on that and the old cars were there and everything. Yeah, yeah, and it was funny because, like, as a kid, I was like, I always got so nervous because as cool as it was, like, I was like, well, you know, it still has like working power, so like, what are the odds that someone's probably going to come through here some point? I mean, <laughs> this all seems pretty lavish to just be left sitting alone, you know. <laughs> That's all I got. All right. <laughs> Dead air. All right, so that brings us back over to Randy. I've expressed my love for the Super Mario World games multiple times over the years. It was my first game I ever got. And I remember very quickly in that game, you kind of go through this pipe in the second world, and it takes you to an alcove above Bowser's secret castle that's the end of the game. And you're like three levels in at that point, or probably seven. 
I don't know. But anyway, it just, I used to think that was so cool because it was like hidden underground and just seeing that and seeing like the big neon Bowser sign on the front of it. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Just struck a memory. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Bowser's castles have always uh, another layer that's always kind of confused me. I thought, man, just living in this thing would be just a pain in the ass. Because if I remember, like, in the first Mario, like, when you got to Bowser, you had to, like, walk through it a very particular way or you couldn't, uh, you just kept repeating the level, right? Yeah, the the final castle in the first game was like mm-hmm. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I thought, how confusing to live in this place. Constantly getting Wonder, lost. glad I never played it. Or never glad got never that far. Well, it never got that far because that would have been just too frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you were able to get it down for the mm-hmm. most part. I think in the mm-hmm. later versions, like Super Mario All-Stars, they started putting a little, like, ding in there if you went the right way, and they put a little, like, buzzer if you did the wrong thing. So, yeah, yeah it's just I pattern right. me- uh, memorization. But You guys are off into a conversation I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, could, I could go get my son right now, and he could talk to you guys for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll move past the Super Mario Man, world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. Uh, I guess that brings us back to you. Any other layers to mention? Oh uh, well, Superman with the uh, um, oh yeah, what what you call it up in the North Pole or, or whatever? Solid uh, food. That's, uh, it, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I love how it looked in the uh, Christopher Reeve movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. crystals and everything. That was really cool. Another place that so, seemed like would be uh, very uncomfortable, very cold all the time. Yeah, but it, but it seemed like suitable for him to be by himself and not be bothered by anybody. Because, right. you know, people are, you know, tugging on his cape all the time, trying to get him to do this and that, whatever. And that's one place he could go where nobody knows where he is. Or even, It's kind of weird, though, because it would... It's not like you wouldn't think it would be hard to find. Just well, this big I mean, I pyramid think, well, of not crystals. Not nowadays. Not with the you know the satellites and <laughs> GPS. I, somebody could probably figure it out. Yeah, for Batman sure. Could, but it'd be a fucking expedition to get there. I mean, it would not Batman be an easy throw, task. Batman, Batman could throw a tracer onto his cape and boom. Oh, of course. That's easy. That's given away right then. (laughs) Jack, maybe you know the answer to this uh, question. I don't know if this was just like on Family Guy or something or if it was actually in a comic or something, but the key to get into the Fortress of Solitude just sat outside the front door, but it it weighed like thousands of tons and like only he could lift it to open the door. Does that sound familiar to you? No, all I could think of is uh, what's his name? What's her name? The the housekeeper coming over. No, Mr. Oh. Superman not home. Oh, yeah. Mr. Superman not home. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, though, Jeremy. I do recall hearing something like that about the big key. Maybe it was in the cartoon uh, animated series or something. I, I don't remember where I saw that, but... Uh... I saw it somewhere. Was it an actual key, or was it just like a weird crystal or just something I feel like heavy? it was an actual key, which makes me think it wasn't anything to be taken too seriously. So, But <laughs> I don't know either. I could just get a piece of soap and compress a piece onto it so it makes a mold <laughs> and make my own key. Well, I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Take that, Superman, and your weird alien technology. It would be a cool so place because doesn't he you. also like have a zoo of um, at, like uh, animals from other worlds and stuff in there? Oh yeah, that would be cool to explore. Anyway, moving along, uh, that brings us over to Jack. What about a uh, Doctor Evil? He had a couple secret layers. <laughs> Didn't he have one on he the moon? The... Oh wait, no, that would make three. Yeah, because he had. Did he have the moon one? Because I know he had the one in the big volcano. Didn't and then he, like, he had freaking the giant on submarine. The I don't remember if they did or not. Now that you think, now I think about it, since I've seen those films, I know it just cracks me up that, like, all the henchmen in the background that are doing something, he like calls them out on their bullshit. He's like, "You henchmen, that's arbitrarily turning knobs, like they're not really doing anything. <laughs> they're just back there looking busy." <laughs> <laughs> then he always had, then he had sharks with the lasers on their heads, a pit of sharks always, right? Well, no, he wanted them, but they. But he didn't have them I or something like that. He got all pissed off. But I, I think he did later on, yeah. But at first, it was something else, and he got all pissed off about it. For some reason, those movies didn't age with well with laser beams. <laughs> I haven't seen them for a long time. They all right. Yeah, yeah, that big submarine of himself. 
the thing right. like there's one or something. Like that. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> it actually had the arm coming around with the finger to his mouth. Yeah, then they had to throw the fart joke in there by venting air and coming out its rear end. Ugh, fart jokes are horrid. I hate fart jokes. Yeah, it's just too easy. Ugh. It's low brow, bottom shelf. Yeah. Moving along, um, I guess my next pick would be any layer that Magneto has really ever had. Uh, whether it be on oh. the asteroid in orbit or whether it just be like on Genosha where his whole layer is like made of uh, metal. You know, he just walks into a room that's completely metal and like a chair just forms up out of the ground, say, and he sits in. Yeah. Or, you know, like a like a piece of metal like will fly toward his head and like form the shape of his helmet, just wrap around his head, kind of stuff. Like, like how cool that is. I mean, of course, you'd have to have that power to make it cool, but uh, pretty uncomfortable. That's place too. It's <laughs> awesome when you got to see that happen. In what was it, the second X Men, when he pulled all the iron out of the guy's blood, so he just had oh, the balls yeah. flying around, yes. and then the one just turned into a plate, and he just takes a step, and automatically he's got a platform to walk across. Yeah. It's yeah. great being able to see that kind of thing in action. I mean, uh, if you have that power and your place is made of metal, your imagination is is your limit. I mean, what what couldn't you do? Yeah, you do anything you wanted. Exactly. Except make a nice picnic bench of wood. <laughs> I guess it could look like wood, but would it have advertising on it? On the, on the fence, <laughs> probably his own advertising. Welcome to Genosha. Just a big embossed M or a G on there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, brings us over to Randy again. The iconic Power Rangers Command Center. I used to always think was so cool when they worked to it. Son of a bitch! That was my next pick. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Go ahead. Uh, just, I just remember just thinking how cool it was on the inside and I got a little older and I was like, wow, that's just a bunch of like vacuum tubes and dryer vents and (laughs) (laughs) dryer tubes. (laughs) And it wasn't really well hidden either. I mean, that was just it. So impractical. It was so impractical. It just sat out in the middle of nowhere for everyone to find. It's not like it was protected and like only the rangers could see it or anything. Like anybody could see that damn thing just sitting out in the fucking desert. (laughs) It's like living in a town where you have a TV station and you know exactly where that TV station is because that's where the giant tower and a little building is. Right. (laughs) I don't know why, like after the second or third attempt, she just didn't like start sending her monster straight to that command center to just uh stomp it you know right i don't know well, well, I, actually if i think about it uh you know, as far as superheroes super villains you know kind of like the avengers they have a headquarters everybody mm-hmm. can see i mean if you're really going to be dealing with superpowered beings then why didn't they just take that thing out every other day exactly uh, yeah. so it makes more sense having something that's hidden like the bat cave or Superman. So it's yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Like <laughs> I just don't get it. And I think there were times in the episode where their uh, like their teleporter things wouldn't work. So there they go, just like running and hiking through the desert. Like we gotta get this. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go through the main door. Damn it! <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, uh, the truth is, for me, I don't like taking comic books too serious like that because as soon as you do that, I mean, everything's destroyed. If you try and Everything has to make sense realistically oh, uh, with, sure. with superheroes. It's just there's nowhere to end. You either have to kind of believe in their world or not, I think. Oh, yeah. I definitely give myself to it. But at the same time, those questions are always there. They're always yeah, there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, that, it just makes me think about how where there was a storyline years ago where there was a cleanup crew that would come after the Avengers or whoever had a huge fight in the city, breaking up buildings and this and that, and they would come afterwards and take care of it. They had some name. I can't remember what it was, but I feel like they were they're always, they're, they're always destroying things. Right. I felt like there was a show in talks a while ago, like when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had first come out, like they were talking about making a television show of that crew you're uh, speaking. Oh, of. that'd be a good show. Yeah, but I, I I don't know whatever happened to that rumor. I don't. I, mm-hmm. You remember that, Jack? Yeah, and I can't remember anything about it either. Hmm. There was a a wonderful comic book. I hope I'm not diverging too much from your topic here. No, go ahead. 
there was a wonderful uh, comic book that Scott McCloud did back in the 80s called Destroy. It was this huge oversized book. And it was basically just two super guys, superhero guys, uh, well, a villain and a superhero, basically destroying everything, knocking down all the buildings. Everything's just getting totally destroyed. So the name of it is Destroyed. You can look it up. It's it's a very, it's it's funny. It's a tongue-in-cheek kind of story. Sure. Definitely will. All right. Jack, what would you got? What about the uh, Hall of Doom? Oh, yeah. Which, oh, yes. oddly enough, looks like Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just there looking up to which came first, but I think the Hall of Doom actually came first. The, that look of it, at least. So I think it's changed a little bit since the Super Friends. That's yeah, still pretty much just a big dome. What, was was there anything uh, notable inside that? I never really watched Super Friends. No, just a big table that they yeah. all stood at. That's really <laughs> that's all they did. It's just was a place like- to congregate. Wasn't there like a big pulpit or something on there that like Lex Luthor would always stand on? Yeah, he had a podium and then to the side was the rest where all the the bad guys would sit there. I was talking to a guy at work that uh, he's big into comics and stuff. And it was actually he brought that up. He's just like, how come Solomon Grundy wasn't like the leader of that place? And so it was in a swamp and Solomon Grundy is actually basically, you know, a, a zombie. It would just kind of fit more for that to be his place. <laughs> Lex was like, "Scoot over, Solomon. I'm taking this over. I'm the the brains of this business." <laughs> Solomon Grundy want pants too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anything else on that, Jack? No, they just learned to fly around, I guess, instead of just coming up out from underneath the water. But that's yeah. really about it. Well, they probably got sick of walking into a fucking swamp every time they wanted to go there. The Justice League just got to go to Cincinnati to the museum. (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy how much that building looks like the Hall of Justice. I know, it does. Nuts. (laughs) All right. Um, I guess my next pick would be uh, another kind of impractical one would be Kingpin's Tower. Uh, You know, he always seemed like he was trying to keep good public standings while doing all his shady shit in the shadows. But... At the same time, you know, he had this tower that always had these great big uh, fucking robots and villains flying in and out of. I, 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 There's no level of discreetness there. I don't know how he uh, ever planned to uh, get and keep the public's uh, approval. I guess it was just security. You could only get so far, so you didn't really know about it if you got up so far. But the whole fucking town would know about it when you see the hobgoblin <laughs> riding out the side of his building. You'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> That's what's going on. <laughs> it was so far up there. It's, everything's really small when you get up that far, so you wouldn't really. It's not that far. Like... There's people with cameras everywhere. It's not that far up. Come on. Come on. Do you, any of you guys, uh, I don't know if any, anyone read the Superior Spider-Man, but uh, that's when Doc Ock for a year took over the body of Peter Parker and thought he could do the job of Spider-Man better. And uh, wow. he, yeah, it was interesting, interesting, but it turned out to be really, really good. His lair was just off Manhattan, a little tiny, tiny island he called Spider Island. But uh, it was just his headquarter, his base, big supercomputers, his labs. And uh, he had all these mechanical spiders that would just swarm enemies and stuff. And oh, it was such oh. a it was such a cool uh, man. I, I wish I could uh, remember more details of it, but it was so freaking cool. So he depended on the high tech side more than having powers. Yes, yes. And yeah. when he would capture the enemies. He wouldn't just, uh, like, take them to jail or whatever. He'd take them back to his island and start torturing them, like, dissecting them and stuff. And he became feared by uh, people, by villains. They they feared his name for that very reason. Do you know who wrote or drew that story? Or both? Uh, um, Not off the top of my head. I don't think that was Dan Slott. I don't think... Was it, Jack? Do you know? I almost want to say it was. Was Was it Slott? It might sounds have been because really, he's sounds, been doing it for a while. Sounds really interesting. It's really good. When it first came out, I was just like uh, kind of put off like, well, that sounds stupid. But after I started reading it, I was like, man, this is really freaking good. But um, like there was an yeah, example. Was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It, it was him. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. 
Um, for as an example, there was this uh, like meta vampire villain. I don't remember who it was. It wasn't Michael Morbius, but uh, vampire in this single issue who was tormenting Aunt May and Peter's family. He knew who Spider Man was, so he had captured him and like hung him up on meat hooks and set up these UV lights in front of him to turn on that would just burn him. And while they're burning him, he's pulling his fangs out with pliers. Like this is how ruthless he was. That was to kill the, the COVID virus. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't do a good enough job. (laughs) I can't recommend uh, reading that enough. It was so good. So good. And that's another thing, because after that whole arc ended and Peter got his body back, then he's got, you know, the whole story continues with the life that uh, Doc Ock built in his st- in his place over that past year. So it was it was really interesting. Again, read it. Check it out. Who's that bring us to? Randy? Uh, yep. I've got a hypothetical question for the three of you. So in honor of May the 4th, would you guys consider the Death Star as like a secret lair or is that just kind of too, hey, it's, it's not a moon? No, That's a, no. I, Next. I think it's a, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would definitely say so because, I mean, yeah. I don't think they announced, you know, that they were building the superstation and they definitely have it disguised to look like either a star or a moon. You know, they didn't, you know, Han and Obi-Wan and Luke, they didn't realize what they were looking at until they got right up on it. So I'd say it's right. a good secret layer for sure. Yeah, yeah. because where did Darth Vader hang out before that? Maybe that's been said. Uh, I, I, I want to say he like, like, in a, a, like in a small town someplace. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking did, around. Getting in touch in with Rogue One, he yeah. did have his castle that he was hanging out in. <laughs> oh, that's right. true. Yeah, they have filled in the blanks uh, via comics. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I thought that was very possible with comics or the novels. Uh, yeah. Sure, sure. I, uh, Jason, I can't remember who writes... Uh, or maybe he didn't write the the Vader series. Anyway, yeah, Jack's right. He uh, built a castle on Mustafar, and yeah. uh, that's where he resides. And I think that was in uh, Rogue One, wasn't it? Yep. More connections to Doctor Doom. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd definitely say that Death Star would be a good pick for sure. It wasn't uh, a secret for long. Well, no, when it glows green and blasts the fuck out of a planet, it's hard to <laughs> keep that a secret. Yeah. Alderaan's gone, but there's still a moon there. Strange how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jack, what you got? That was it for me. I, I, I'm tapped out. Randy, anything else? Bill, anything else? Uh, well, real quick, I, get, I thought of uh, Submariner Atlantis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, a whole civilization. And well hidden at that. <laughs> I don't remember if he had a particular home within that. I don't know. I mean, did he? Uh, he probably just had a, the, like a castle or something, right? Well, he was the king. I, I not not sure. Not sure. I don't All know enough about him. I really don't. I just know he's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> but he his story is what he's not full Atlantean. He's like half Atlantean and like half mutant right. or something, exactly. right? Right. Right. That's why he's always torn between humans and his people. Right. I would. I that's would love to read more about him. That'd be a great movie. Yes, for sure. I would think they would do that. I, I, I can't yeah, imagine why they haven't yet. And I'm sure. I don't know how they chose. Uh, what's the new one coming out like? Shang Fu or Shang Fu or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? A Marvel film? Yeah. Yeah. Oh crap! What is that? It's like Iron Fist, but not. <laughs> I can't Fing remember. Fing what... Fung Something. Master like... of Kung Fu. What? I don't remember. It's driving me crazy. But <laughs> it's 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 something very obscure, more obscure than uh, I would ever consider Namor to be. So yeah, I just wonder why they uh, they chose well, that path. Did Marvel get Marvel films get back uh, or Disney get back uh, Fantastic Four yet? Yes, they got that and X Men back. Okay, fine. Then yeah, they can do it. Yeah, and I keep I keep hearing that the next phase uh, build up is supposed to be Doctor Doom and Galactus. I, I hear that Doctor Doom is supposed to be the next villain in uh, uh, Black Panther Two. Oh Ooh. yeah, because because of the vibranium. Yeah. Yeah. So I would. Uh, I'm very anxious to see that. 
That'd be good. Yeah. If they have a if they have a good Doctor Doom. Their casting's been really good thus far. Knock on wood. Yeah, it but, has. So I'm I'm anxious to see who they get. Anxious. Well, not the last Fantastic I'm, Four, but more than that. anything else, I'm waiting for the Galactus Celestials film. That's what I want to see. That would be so cool. Oh my god, that would be so cool. I can't imagine. Hopefully, Galactus isn't just a big head like uh, what's his Dormammu and Doctor Strange. <laughs> face. Yeah. It was cool, but still. Or the way they did him in uh, the Rise of the Silver Surfer, where he like you just saw the outline of his helmet and fire. Yeah, and you really yeah. had to pay attention to see that. Yeah, like it. if you don't know what Galactus is, that's just kind of going over your head. I think. Yeah, you're like, oh, lightning! Hey, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and will will Captain America? Wait, what's the actor who plays Captain America? Uh, Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. He's gonna have to play two parts. Human Torch, America. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I uh, within the past year, I watched one of the two of those uh, Fantastic Four films, or at least part of them. I don't even know if I could get through it, but um, it's funny though seeing him play Johnny Storm. He is really good at separating those character characters. I guess you know he plays. It's it, you easily forget you're looking at Chris Evans, Captain America. Oh yeah, he definitely is a completely different personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Human Torch is known for his, you know, so-called hothead, you know, <laughs> uh, way of being. So, yeah, uh, I, there's a lot of good things in that film. I mean, yes, it it's, seems B-movie-like compared to what we've seen. But I even like once I gave into it, I even liked the thing in that, even with all the costuming and makeup. There's a lot of good things, but yeah. a lot of bad things, too. Sure. Yeah. That's how yeah. they've all really been. There's been a lot of good things and bad things. I, my, I I really enjoyed the look of the thing in the latest Fantastic Four movie, but that movie just yeah. was not good. No. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wanted it to be. Especially Doctor Doom in that movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, not good. Well, we know that it's in the right hands now, and I know that they're going to... Uh, I just keep seeing, like, thumbnail <laughs> after thumbnail after thumbnail. I think his name is uh, John... Krasinski or something? The Jim from The Office? What's his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. John Yeah, it's Krasinski, I think. I believe it. that's what it is. I keep, but yeah, him is a, is a Reed. He looks yeah. awesome. Oh, it's Reed. Oh. Yeah. I don't know Maybe. if that's official or not, but I, I keep know. seeing thumbnails of that. Yeah. So Yeah, I would totally be down with that. Yeah, I think he'd do good. All right, anything else before we move on, gentlemen? Uh, I think I'm good. Yep. All right. I'm good. <laughs> with that let's turn our attention over to bill and just talk more about his art bill thanks again for being here it's been a blast thus far and again it's an honor to talk to uh, somebody who's uh, brought to life so many uh, iconic characters and your own version of the bat cave as we've already touched on <laughs> but um yeah you get to seek those two issues out <laughs> <laughs> so tell us where does your uh, journey into comics begin of course, as a kid, I like to draw, and the way it worked for me is, as a young man, uh, starting like eighth grade, I tried drawing comic stories and such, because I met a couple people in my class that did that, and I was amazed by it. They were doing it themselves, because I liked reading comics. I had discovered Marvel Comics about 1967, late 67. For some reason, at my age, I never saw them before that. I saw DC Comics. But supposedly Marvel wasn't distributed that well back then. It was probably a little harder to find. And maybe even if I saw it, I wouldn't even know what it was. You know, you see Superman, Batman, and Flash. You know who that is. Right. But Spider-Man, what the heck is that? So once I was introduced to all that, that really got me going. And I started trying to draw my own little stories and such on notebook paper and whatever. So through high school, I was drawing a lot. But then by the middle of high school... I gave up drawing for music, and I I became a drummer, and I was in bands for like five years or so. So that was my whole attention all the way up till I was like 21. Then one day I just kind of decided music was not going to be for me, even though it was going well, but I decided it was not for me, and I went back to drawing and painting. And then in my when I was around uh, 23, almost four, I went to art school, American Academy of Art in Chicago, and that really got my skills going. And I started drawing comic books again. And while I was in school, I started to do samples and show them around. 
So this is like 1980 to 81. So 1981, I got my first job, my first print job from Noble Comics, which was uh, published near Detroit by Mike Gustavich, who was very well known as an inker. But he he created this this uh, superhero team called Justice Machine, and so uh, once I started working on that, I was doing that uh, part time while I was going to school, and when I got out of school, um, I kept working on comic books while doing other illustration work until towards about 1984 or five, I met uh, Mike Barron, who created the Badger. He also, he's also known for creating Nexus. And so I started drawing this series, The Badger, from first comic books. And I did that for several years. What happened, my biggest break, was that Mike Barron had gone on to Marvel also. As a writer, he could write like four books a month. So he's writing Badger, Nexus, other things. And he started working for Marvel, and he was writing The Punisher. So they needed a new artist on The Punisher, and he said, hey, you want to come over here? With Carl Potts' blessing, who was the editor, that's what I started doing. And so The Punisher was your first uh, your first title with Marvel? Yes. Uh, as Well, as a regular gig, I actually had done a, a short Moon Knight story in, like, 1983 that was going to be a backup in the regular Moon Knight series, the one oh, that nice. the one that Sinkevich originally started drawing, I don't know if he was still drawing it when my story was being drawn, but the series ended, so my short story got shelved, and then it later, after I started working on the Punisher, got published in Marvel Fanfare, which Marvel Fanfare was a book they would often publish stories that were inventory stories they just had in a drawer or someplace, you know, like you know, what do we do with all these stories, because. Marvel, back then, I don't think they do this anymore, they would just give a script to an artist and say, draw this story of whatever character. And then they could stick that in the drawer. And then if somebody didn't meet their deadline, or there was some problem, somebody got sick, who knows what, they could pull that story out of the drawer, boom, you got a book. And so that was the first stuff I did. Although I drew a, a short Power Man Iron Fist story that I never finished, I got several pages into it and didn't finish the story. That was never published. But so, yeah, Punisher was my big break into the, you know, big two. Of all these characters you've ended up working on, were any of them ones you grew up reading at all? Were you already a fan of them and then find yourself actually drawing them? Not exactly. I, I, I tend to have been, I mean, Punisher I certainly didn't grow up with. Well, I mean, sort of. I mean, Punisher was guesting in Spider-Man. I wasn't paying a lot of attention to Spider-Man comics at that time. That was during my drumming period. I, um, <laughs> I kind of got away from comic books for some period of time. Although my wife, Linda Lesman Reinhold, colored some of those early Punisher stories in uh, Spider-Man. She's a colorist that worked for Marvel Comics from the mid-70s. And then uh, she worked in the offices and then later on working with me on everything I was doing. Oh, oh I, I should mention right away, Silver Surfer. When I got to do a Silver Surfer graphic novel that uh, Jim Starlin wrote, that was huge for me as drawing a character I grew up with. How cool. Yeah. And I've seen some of your uh, Silver Surfer images. And I just, there's, there's this uh, certain style, I think, that uh, sticks with the Silver Surfer, kind of uh, whoever's drawing him. And I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but a very uh, kind of like heavy line 60s kind of a look to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that'd be me all the time, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, again, okay, you can heavy line, you could say the Kirby stuff, you know, if, when I was drawing Silver Surfer, I was pulling from all my influences, Kirby for sure. But then the, the newest influence at that time, well, actually a couple was John Romita Jr. doing Daredevil had the Silver Surfer and the Inhumans guesting in the Daredevil book. At that time, it was uh, John Romita Jr. was drawing the book, and Al Williamson was inking him. And Al Williamson is an artist that's been an influence on me for the longest time. And him inking John Romita was, looked fantastic. And they did a version of Silver Surfer I'd never seen anybody do. The whole feel of it was more towards what I was into at the time, which was a more spontaneous line. There was a lot of dry brush. 
a little grittier. I definitely pulled from that. And then you also had Mobius who did his story of Silver Surfer that nobody had ever seen something like that before either. So there was a lot to look at. But my stuff always leans towards the heavier anyways. It's a beautiful look. I love it. And it's that uh, same kind of look that uh, I think brought me into the Silver Surfer uh, on any level. Because, again, I, you know, I don't know a lot about him other than like the surface level knowledge. But anytime I see those comics, they catch my eye just because uh, there's, I don't know, there's something about him. Something about him. Yeah. So of all the big names that you have worked on, I mean, what's been your favorite experience or favorite character to draw? As an artist, probably my favorite character to draw is Batman. And I've done very little with him uh, professionally. I did that those two stories of Legends, of Legends of the Dark Knight, but then I also inked him on a few other artists. He just really appeals to me as an artist, the more realism to him. And I love drawing the city, Gotham City, all that. I mean, I like drawing single characters anyways, like the Punisher or Daredevil or... Mm-hmm. I mean, more than team uh, series. I did that. That's how I started was drawing a team series. But as time went on, I like drawing the solitary characters more. So Batman in that way really appeals to me. I mean, if, if somebody asked me to do a quick sketch and I say, can I do whatever I want? Yeah, I always draw Batman hmm. every time. Wish I had that yeah. ability. <laughs> so bad. I wish I had it. Just have to practice 16 hours a day. That's all. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> Jeremy, get back to work. <laughs> oh, my God. So as of uh, late, at least as of uh, 2018, uh, you were illustrating a World War II comic, uh, The Flying Column, Road to Manila. I'm sorry, Manila? Is that how it's pronounced? Road to Manila, yes. Manila in the Philippines, the city. Gotcha. And that's uh, written by Carl Potts. Can you tell us about this? During World War II... There were thousands of uh, Allied civilians and others that were being held as internees in Santo Tomas University. Uh, The stories about the rescue of these people from this camp that the Japanese were were keeping. And so uh, there was three different, I could say, battalions that went in different directions in the Philippines. And this one went to that internment camp at the Santo Tomas, Santo Tomas University, which is an actual university, and they just turned it into a camp. People were you know, living on the grounds in shacks, and they were living in the building. So it's all about that rescue. And uh, part of the story is based on Carl Potts's family that was involved with it. And wow. um, so, yeah, so it's, it's an amazing story. It's a true story. And, you know, based on reality, you know, in other words, you know, every scene, you, know, you do the best you can to base it on reality. Same time, you know, you have characters interacting that you dramatize one way or another. It's it's a fantastic story. I've been spending a long time drawing it. It's 134 pages. I'm in the midst of uh, doing the finishes on it now. I, I did layouts, pencils, and now I'm doing the finish ink and wash. The way I'm doing it is it's India ink, line, and then I use gouache, which is like a watercolor, to do tonal finishes on it. And then that's just going to be reproduced in sepia, kind of given sort of an a, a, you know, old look like that. Sure. It's awesome. I saw some and, of the artwork online, and it's just absolutely amazing. The depth to it, uh, the detail on the people's face. It's just it's, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, thanks. It, it's, it's been kind of uh, something bringing a lot of skills I've been working on for a long time. Uh, when I was working a lot as an inker, there was a good almost 10 years from mid-90s up until... 2010, a little bit later, altogether it was almost 10 years. During that time, I was working with uh, Doug Braithwaite inking Wolverine and The Punisher, and before that on Earth X related stories, which was Universe X and Paradise X. Anyways, but when we were doing Wolverine and also Green Lantern, too, we were working on a Bold, uh, Bold and the Brave storyline. There, uh, Doug Braithwaite asked me, Hey, could you do washes? In other words, normally people think of you doing ink washes or whatever you might do. I would do it in watercolor. So you, you today, especially with uh, computer coloring, it's really easy 
if somebody does something in black and white with line and washes, the colorists can manipulate those washes and turn, make them into different colors or however they want to handle it. You know, add a lot more uh, depth to it. It's very common now, but at the time it was pretty new. I really loved working that way. And so when I got this story, I knew I either wanted to do it in black and white or something like that, where all of that could show. And the sepia was uh, you know, next thing to that. It's awesome to hear the process, too, of how that's done. Yeah, I'll be posting a lot more soon. I've been finishing pages, so I'll start putting more up on my uh, DeviantArt site. Redirect to that is BillRinal.com. And uh, I'll have a lot more samples up. And not to mention Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else. But. Right. And on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, your handle is Bill Reinholds for people to check you out. And we're yeah. also going to be uh, linking all this on our website and uh, tagging you so people uh, can be directed over your way. Bill, this has been, again, quite an honor to have you here. And uh, just thank you so much for taking some time to hang out with us, man. Hey, you're welcome. It was, it was fun talking about the layers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, buy some merch, become a patron, see some YouTube videos. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And once again, don't forget to find us on Twitter at cannedairpod and on Instagram at canned underscore air and patreon.com forward slash cannedairpod. $5 a month gets you the cannedair patreon pod. Uh, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Redline Radio LLC. You can check out old episodes of ours and give us a call. 614-254-3332. Don't know why you're not calling. I don't know why you're Please. not calling. Come on. I know you're listening. can see those little numbers. <laughs> Pick up the damn phone. Anything else, gentlemen, before we uh, call it a day? That would be it. I think that's going to do it. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Randy Hardenberg. Bill Reinhold. Really? Uh, good night. And, good night and stay safe. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. are mean, so I'm running away from home. Where you gotta go? I don't know yet, but that'll show them. <laughs> it sure will. Shipwreck! Parents just don't understand, and it gets lonely on the road, so be sure to listen to the Candare podcast. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Excuse me, one second. Sure. Hey, honey, I'm on. I'm on. Are you downstairs? Yes, I'm online. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> hey, Bill. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 